Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. There's a new documentary about East Bay Congresswoman Barbara Lee from director Abby Ginsburg. Barbara Lee speaking truth to power. The film is filled with local and national political heavyweights tracing Lee's growing political involvement from student activism at Mills College and UC Berkeley through her work on civil rights, AIDS funding and anti-poverty legislation. We'll talk with the Congresswoman and the documentary's director about the representative's career and her recent statement that there has never and will never be a U.S. military solution in Afghanistan. And then, Cattle versus Thule Elk will check in on an upcoming hot-button land-use decision out on Point Reyes. That's all next on Forum, after this news. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Welcome to Forum. After September 11, momentum immediately built for revenge, an impulse that arrived in Congress as a blanket presidential authorization to use military force in prosecuting the war on terror. Every single member of Congress voted for it, except one. Congresswoman Barbara Lee, representing a chunk of the East Bay, had been in the national legislature just three years, and it was only three days after 9-11, when she stood up, alone, against the war, and made this emotional speech. I rise today really with a very heavy heart, one that is filled with sorrow for the families and the loved ones who were killed and injured this week. Only the most foolish and the most callous would not understand the grief that has really gripped our people and millions across the world. However difficult this vote may be, Some of us must urge the use of restraint. Our country is in a state of mourning. Now, I have agonized over this vote, and I came to grips with opposing this resolution during the very painful, yet very beautiful memorial service. As a member of the clergy so eloquently said, as we act, Let us not become the evil that we deplore. This moment was really the fulcrum of Lee's career as presented in the new documentary, Barbara Lee, Speaking Truth to Power. The film really asked the question, how did this person come to be the only one with the courage to stand against so many people in the country? And then we see where those principles have led her 
in the 20 years since the vote. We'll have Congresswoman Lee on soon, but first we're joined by Director Abby Ginsburg. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be on. Oh, thank you for coming on. You know, you've spent years talking with people about the Congresswoman and her vote. Why do you think Barbara Lee was the one, the only person in Congress willing to vote against the war authorization? That's a great question. I mean, I think what the film kind of, you know, what I conclude sort of in the film is that she was able to find her moral center at a time when everybody else was sort of being whipsawed by, you know, kind of the patriotic warmongering fervor that swept the country and that was being essentially promoted by George Bush. Um, and, And by finding kind of the quiet that happened during that, you know, memorial service and because a member of her staff had lost his cousin, there was just a way in which, you know, Barbara was in touch with another layer of grief and of under, the, okay, that's one thing. She was, you know, as a trained social worker, she knows you're not supposed to make big decisions at times like this. <laughs> the other piece of this is that, you know, she understood what that 60 word resolution was gonna lead us to. And I think other people just probably didn't take the time to read it as carefully or to see the danger that was lurking around the corner. So both those things came together, I think, to create her vote. Um, but, but I really believe that the two, you know, both her training as a social worker, her ability to get to kind of her inner core about what seemed right at the time, which was let's not make any big decisions, and her ability to put this kind of jingoistic you know, national fervor to one side to be able to figure out how to make the right vote all conspired to make her the one person in Congress who was able to do it. And what about her district? Could someone with the same sort of moral composition but representing a different group of people have made that call, you think? Um, I, okay, so one of the things that I learned doing this is that Barbara was not checking to see who was going to support her. There were plenty of people who were warning her that if she voted this way, she might very well lose her seat. And that didn't seem to matter. That was not part of the calculus. So maybe in some, you know, deep-seated way, you have to ask her this, you know, how does, how does coming from a progressive district, how did that affect her at the time? But she got a lot of negative hate mail, even from people in the district right after her vote. So the district was kind of torn apart, just like the rest of the country was. And even though the district came around to supporting her, I wouldn't say on day three that it was all unified behind her. So I would say the district didn't make that much difference. We'd actually like to welcome Congresswoman Barbara Lee to the show. She's joining us here this morning to welcome. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm glad to be with you. Can you hear me? Oh, we can hear you. And and thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule. We appreciate it. (laughs) Thank you. Um, we were just we just listened to your speech on the House floor, and we were talking about how you made this decision. How much did you think about the people here in the East Bay when you were making that call, and how much was this a decision that you went inside to find the courage? Well, first of all, it was a decision that uh, did not come um, lightly. It was a decision that, and I I heard how Abby explained how I came to the conclusion that I had to vote no, which was very accurate. Uh, And in fact, I really, uh, in moments like these, I don't test the political wins, uh, recognizing that 
95% of the time, members of Congress and elected officials represent the views of their constituents, but there may be 5% of 5% of our job that requires leadership. And so if in fact, I believe that uh, I'm in Congress, my constituents elected me to leave and on issues where I have classified briefings and intelligence briefings and national security issues that I have to uh, deal with uh, very carefully, that it's up to me to uh, go back home and try to educate my constituents as it relates to why I cast a certain vote. And so in this instance, that, this was one of those instances where I felt like it was about leadership and then uh, trying to make sure that your uh, constituents understood and could really be educated as to the rationale and reasons why I voted that way. And then you have to remember also, finally, I'll just say that uh, there is life um, after Congress. And <laughs> I want to be, you know, I want to continue serving. I love my job. I love working for the people. Uh, I hope I'm making a contribution and helping my constituents. But there are moments when you have to say, I'm risking everything because mm -hmm. this is the right thing to do. Yeah. So 20 years after your vote against more or less permanent war, which we've now seen was a failure. And as you've watched the scenes from the airport in Kabul and you've heard from Afghan people here in the Bay Area, what, what are you feeling now? In a lot of ways, uh, sadness, uh, because looking back 20 years and looking back at what has taken place over the last few weeks, so many people have, again, um, been harmed, traumatized, in danger, killed, and uh, thinking about quite often our troops. You know, I'm a daughter of a retired military officer, Lieutenant Colonel, served in World War II and Korea. And I've been thinking about the loss of life and their families, the communities that were devastated by the um, horrific uh, tragedy uh, and terrorist attacks. And I'm just thinking also about, oh boy, what, over 2,400 troops were killed, American troops who did everything our country asked them to do. And there were 200 and some thousand Afghans killed, millions of refugees. And so the um, dislocation and the violence and the trauma and the sadness that um, people have experienced over the last 20 years, uh, I'm thinking about that now and feeling uh, in many ways very somber. Yeah. Do you think President Biden made the right call? He absolutely made the right call. There's no military solution in Afghanistan, and many know that. And we can't go around the world nation build, certainly not in the country, in, in Afghanistan. Had he not made the decision to withdraw, and of course, I'm one who had been critical about how rocky it was in the beginning, but... Had he not uh, done that, we would have a military presence in Afghanistan, who knows, 5, 10, 15 more years. That's unacceptable because you we'd be at the same place we are now, if not worse, in another 20 years. And so even though it was a tough decision, you know, I believe we, well, of course, should have withdrawn many, many years ago when President Obama was in. I mean, just by wanting to repeal this authorization and withdraw, it didn't just start now. And too many lives lost, but we've got to look back now and lessons learned and try to make sure that all of our Americans get out of Afghanistan, all of our Afghan allies and provide the security for women and figure out 
a way to plan for women's education and the continuation of the gains they may find. Well, I chair the subcommittee that um, funds a lot of what we have to do now, the humanitarian assistance, diplomatic development assistance. And, and so now we have to look back and see that maybe we need to invest more in the non-military strategies to solve or help solve uh, the problems in Afghanistan. Uh, Congresswoman Lee, you mentioned that your father was a veteran. Did that? How did that complicate your decision to vote against the war authorization? Well, and I talk, my dad called me right after I voted no and told me that was the right vote. That we did not should not, and he knew what the resolution said. And he said, "You do not put our troops in harm's way without knowing what they're doing, what you're committing them to." And he gave me the reasons from a military perspective. And as the daughter of a veteran, what pained me so much after the fact, I didn't think about it so much during the process of deciding to vote no, other than I knew the, that our troops had to make sure that we were going to protect them if, in fact, we sent them into war. But after the fact, I thought about the military families and, and the children of the members of the military who were going to be deployed and wanted to make sure that we did everything we could do to ensure their safety and to make sure they come home and be prepared to support them because I know the the trauma of, of war and what to if they're not taking care of their mental health and physical health needs. So basically, and, and also the fact that I know that the military options on the table. Again, my dad was in two wars. So I, I know, and, and I've worked for our beloved Ron Dellums, who chaired the House Armed Services Committee. So I know defense policies. I know the Pentagon. And I know that we always have that military option on the table, but that should not be the first option we use. We're talking about the new documentary, Barbara Lee, Speaking Truth to Power, with Barbara Lee herself and Abby Ginsberg, filmmaker and director. I'm Alexis Madrigal, and we'll be back with more Forum after the break. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the new documentary, Barbara Lee, Speaking Truth to Power, with Abby Ginsberg, who directed the film, and Barbara Lee herself, the U.S. Congresswoman representing California's 13th district, which includes Oakland and also my house. Um, We want to hear from you. Are you a constituent of Congresswoman Lee? What issue would you like to see her prioritize? And given that Barbara Lee has been around here for a long time, and this is a Bay Area show, do you have a memory from Representative Lee's long career from here in the Bay Area. Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Or you can email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Barbara Lee, uh, Congresswoman Lee, I'd love to ask you about the trip that you take in the film back home to El Paso, where you first grew up. How, how did that trip come about, and what do you really take with you from segregated El Paso? Sure. Let me let me ask you, can you hear me all right? Um, I, I can hear you all right, yeah. Yeah, I can. Okay. Well, when we uh, went to El Paso, it was quite 
a moment for me in history, in my history. Because when I started school, grammar school, schools were segregated and black kids could not go to public schools with white kids. And so my parents sent us to Catholic schools because they were the only schools that would admit uh, black students aside from the black school. And the black school was one of the best in the uh, uh, city. My mother and aunts attended Douglas school, but my father and grandfather and mother were so adamant about engaging in any more segregation. They said no more segregation. So I went to a Catholic school. There were uh, three, two, two kids in that Catholic school who were black and that was my sister and myself. And we had friends who were white and Latino. And so of course my friends were my friends and they invited me to go to parties and hay rides. Can you believe that? <laughs> and um, <laughs> theater parties. I was a Girl Scout, always the only black girl. So they always invited me to go to theater parties, to the Plaza Theater, which was a beautiful old historic theater. But I could never go because I was black. And, you know, and if I went, I'd have to stay in the balcony, sit in the balcony. And so black people just didn't go to the Plaza Theater because it was so degrading. If you had to leave, go way up in the balcony. Uh, I don't know if any African-Americans did that. And so I, I was excluded from all the theater parties. So fast forward to when Abby decided she was going to film part of uh, my upbringing in El Paso. And for the very first time in my life, I was able to go into the Plaza Theater. And it was remarkable. And it was very, uh, it was, I wish my mother had been there with me. And she passed away uh, six years ago. Because that was a moment that I realized so much of my childhood had been lost because of segregation, not being able to do things that white kids did. Yeah. But as my Angie say, says, and still I rise. <laughs> so there I was back there in uh, the Plaza Theater as an adult. As On the stage, in fact. Yeah. On the <laughs> stage, yeah. yeah. Um, and can I just say, sure. this is Abby speaking, I just want to say, you know, how much I hope we can bring this film to El Paso and screen it at the Plaza Theater. I, that's like one of the real reasons I am waiting for COVID to, you know, get controlled so we can do this because I think that will really be a moment both for the city of El Paso, for Barbara Lee and for the film, you know, and for the citizens of El Paso today. Um, let me let me just mention a side story on that. I mean, I don't know if I've shared this with you, but I grew up with Ronnie Stallworth, who was the Black Klansman. He lived two doors down from us. And Ronnie, well, Ron Stallworth lives in El Paso now with his wife, uh, Patsy. And so uh, a year or two later, I went back to El Paso and the very first film I saw at the Plaza Theater was with Ronnie Stallworth and that was the Black Klansman. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow, the guy who infiltrated the, the KKK, right? Yeah. Right. Uh -huh. Wow, that's amazing. Um, yeah, Abby Ginsburg, you yeah. secured the cooperation of a lot of local and national political heavyweights. Um, you know, obviously, former congressman, Oakland Mayor Ron Dellum, as well as the legend John Lewis, and as well as a bunch of other uh, figures. Were you able to find anyone who said a bad word about Representative Lee? That's what I was curious to do the film. If you had if you had had people who brought heavy critiques. Uh, no, I mean, let me say I wasn't looking for a heavy critique. And, you know, I was looking for certain things that I thought were unique about Barbara. So one thing I was really looking for was 
Republicans who would, you know, kind of describe what it was like to work with her on issues where they were able to come together kind of across party lines. And so there are two kind of high, you know, there are two Republicans in the film, Walter Jones, who joined her around opposing the AUMF, um, and Josh Bolton, who was, you know, chief of staff to President Bush during the time that they created the AIDS PEPFAR, you know, international initiative. So I was much more interested in that. I wasn't, look this, look, this was not, number one, this was not going for, quote, balance, where, you know, I was looking for Barbara's journey. I was looking for the ways in which other people were sort of analyzing their own actions against her. For example, I did not know that John Lewis was going to say, I should have been with her. Mm. You know, I was just interviewing John Lewis to see what he'd have to say about you know, I thought it was sort of odd that Barbara was all alone, given that there were a bunch of other progressives in Congress. And so to have a John Lewis or a Jim Clyburn, you know, say maybe I should have done it differently or Lynn Woolsey was meaningful to me. But I wasn't going out of my way, you know, kind of looking for someone who was going to, you know, criticize Barbara, whatever. I feel like the story stands for itself. You want to criticize it, go ahead. But um that I didn't feel like that was my job. You yeah. know, I felt like my job was to present as clear a kind of portrait of Barbara as I could put together. And let me say that the heavy hitters in the film, you know, the people who were willing to talk to me, the Ayanna Presleys and the AOCs and John Lewis, et cetera, all agreed to talk to me, not because of who I am, but because they wanted to talk about Barbara. Barbara has played a really important role in all of their lives, you know, either as a mentor to some of them or maybe a mentee to John Lewis, but everybody wanted to talk. And it was not hard. It wasn't hard to get Cory Booker. It wasn't hard to get AOC. Everybody wanted to go on record being engaged in a conversation with me about Barbara Lee. And that's part of, I think, why we have sort of such a stellar cast in this yeah. film. Um, I want to bring in our, love her. <laughs> yeah. I want to bring in um, one of our listeners, Richard from San Rafael. Welcome to the show. Uh, good morning, and thanks for uh, thanks for taking me on. You know, I have the highest admiration for Barbara Lee, um, and her vote back at the beginning of the the Afghan uh, stuff, the, the, the September 11th was absolutely courageous. And uh, what's been indicated is that the point was not to hold on to her seat. She was uh, responding to her conscience and what she felt was correct. And here we are 20 years later, and she was the only one who was right when it came to that vote. And I remember so vividly a discussion I had with a highly respected friend of mine who right after 9-11 was so outraged, as so many of us were. And his response was, we've got to bomb somebody. Hmm. And I pointed out, I said, we don't even know who's responsible for this. And his response was, and this is a highly educated, highly respected individual. He said, it doesn't matter. We have to go out and bomb somebody. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was the feeling of the moment. Yes, it really was. Thank you, Richard. And and we went and did it. So, Barbara, thank you so much for your service, civil rights, the issues of war, 
and please continue speaking out as you do, and I know you will. <laughs> Thanks so much, Richard. I appreciate it. I want to go directly to Mirella in Oakland next. Hello? Hi, Can Mirella. Me? Yes, welcome. Hi. Oh, thank you for a first time on Forum. It's an honor and pleasure. Um, uh, thank you, Barbara Lee, for all that you do. Um, I'm, uh, I think uh, as a Mills graduate, and I know you, you also went to Mills, um, I know uh, that was a major part in uh, nurturing that moral compass um, within you. Um, I did not know you were the only one voting against the war. Um, sorry, I'm emotional here, um, but um, that speaks volumes. Um, you know, middle college is struggling. With, um, it's trying to educate women and uh, it's struggling and needs you more than ever. I know you're dedicated to women's um, education and um, having more like you um, rise up through the ranks. So yeah. I'm, I apologize for being a No, thank but... you. We, we, we understand. Thank you, Marilla. Uh, Congresswoman Lee, Mills College has uh, been in some trouble. They've been struggling. What do you think the path for Mills College is going forward? Well, let me say early on, I, I'm issued a, a statement indicating, and I stick with this position, even though there's a lawsuit going on, so I can't um, talk about the lawsuit necessarily at this point because of the firewalls. But I early on said that I want to see women, uh, Mills remain a women's college, a degree-granting institution. And let me tell you a couple of things about that. Women, women's, there are very few left in the country, first of all. Secondly, for women like myself, who had been on public assistance, raising two small children. There are very few uh, academic environments that are conducive for that type of a, of a student to be able to receive their degree at, and receive a good quality academic education. My children, uh, I didn't have money for childcare, and that's one of the reasons why I'm so adamant about this childcare provision in our infrastructure bill. Uh, I didn't have enough money for childcare. And the childcare facilities that were uh, open had long, long waiting lists, two and three years. And so the ones that I could afford, I couldn't, have, couldn't get my children in uh, because I couldn't afford it. The ones that I could afford that were based on a sliding fee schedule had long waiting lists. So bottom line is I took my children to college with me. They sat through classes <laughs> with me. And I remember um, I, I was a pretty good student too, but I wasn't, I was good in chemistry. Uh, of course, my major was psychology, but statistics, I think I got probably a C plus maybe in statistics and I wanted all A's. And so I took stat for two semesters to, to bring my grade up. And my children sat through two semesters of statistics. They know statistics probably better than I do <laughs> at this point. And that's an example, though, of how Mills was so supportive of myself uh, to be able to get my degree. And so I don't want to see that, uh, that those barriers that would be there now if, in fact, Mills were not an institution for women, a degree institution. And so I hope they work it out. Let's bring in another caller, Judith from San Francisco. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I'd like, I did not see the movie, I must say, but what uh, surprises me is the number of uh, so-called celebrities and the 
such as Alice Walker and AOC, knowing their position on Palestine, which brings me to um, Barbara Lee's Risking Everything, uh, which we all applauded, of course, those of us who uh, are anti-war and consider ourselves progressive, her stance on um, entering into war with the advent of... um, of the war, in Af- which is now the war in Afghanistan. But I would like to know if, if Barbara Lee, if Congresswoman Lee, who's, uh, who represented me for 30 years, by the way, when I lived in Oakland and Berkeley, could please justify her offering a huge um, military aid package to Israel, also for her refusal to endorse um, bills uh, supporting Palestinian children, and um, even Bernie Sanders' call to end the occupation for years. And uh, I must say that I'm Jewish. I'm calling on a Jewish holiday. But this is important to me because I am uh, a very pro-Palestine, and um, I would like to know uh, Congresswoman Lee, um, do you want to? Sure. Thank you for oh, sure. uh, just Thank you. Sure. No, thank you for that. And and uh, just so you know, you were asking about criticism earlier. Well, um, you know, places I go, they're pickets against me. Uh, basically because there are many members in the community who don't believe I um, stand up for the Palestinian people. And I totally disagree with that, but this is a democracy and and people can pick it. They have their First Amendment rights to pick it anywhere I go. And I I just have to say a couple of things. First of all, I don't think there are any members of Congress who have been more pro-Palestinian in terms of justice for the Palestinian people and children than myself. If you look at my history, there have been votes oftentimes where there are two or three votes uh, that were cast. They were cast because I fought, felt that uh, the issues w- would create more injustice against the Palestinian people and would not lead to uh, their uh, state. And I've always been for a, a two-state solution and I have not wavered on that, even though I know there are many who have. In this bill this year, uh, which I chair the subcommittee that funds um, all of our uh, economic and security assistance for every country in the world. Uh, for the very first time ever, uh, we put in uh, assistance for the Palestinian people, humanitarian assistance. Uh, we tried to put in uh, funding to be able to open the PLO office, which we did. Of course, the votes. I mean, I'm the only really uh, person on our committee, other than uh, Congresswoman McCollum, who would support uh, opening the Palestinian office without as many restrictions as the committee wanted to put on the bill. I also uh, supported the uh, opening of the consulate office in um, Jerusalem, also supported uh, people being entered, entering into Gaza without the restrictions. You know, there have been people who have tried to get to Gaza and have been turned back. So if you look at the bill, which I chair uh, myself, we have a subcommittee and full committee of appropriations committee. And so we have to vote and bring forth bill, bring forth uh, positions that everyone can agree to so we can pass the bill off of the floor. But I think this year, and you can look at the bill for anyone who's uh, listening and see the very uh, balanced approach we have taken as it relates to the Palestinian people in terms of justice for the Palestinian people development assistance, humanitarian assistance, reducing many of the restrictions and also supporting uh, security for Israel. And so I don't back off of that at all. And uh, I'm sorry that people don't believe that I'm 
standing for the Palestinian people. But uh, if you look at my record, I think my record will demonstrate that I do. Thank you, Congresswoman. I, I want to end uh, here with Shirley Chisholm, first black woman elected to Congress, of course, and also the first black woman to run for president. And I saw in the film that she gave you a gift that's traveled with you. Can you tell me about Shirley Chisholm's pearls? Well, actually, Shirley Chisholm, her goddaughter, hmm. her goddaughter is in Florida, and she uh, gave them to me to wear for Kamala Harris's uh, swearing in. But I also have, which I haven't shown very often, two rings of Shirley Chisholm that I have that Shirley gave me. And I was really privileged to be able to be mentored by Congresswoman Shirley Chisholm. I got involved in her campaign. Very first time I registered to vote was I was at Mills College. I was the Black Student Union president, invited her to come to college to speak as the first Black woman elected to president, elected, um, excuse me, to Congress. And so she um, came, and at the same time, I had a course in government. Now, many people don't believe it, but I have only taken one course in government in my whole life. (laughs) And part of that course requirement was to do a project uh, in the presidential campaign fieldwork. And so the professor, Dr. Mullen, said, take any candidate you want, McGovern, Muskie, Humphrey, and work in their campaign. Well, oh, no, me. Congresswoman Lee, we're about to run out okay. of time. Well, bottom, bottom line is I passed the class, became a Shirley Chisholm delegate, and I registered to vote. <laughs> Thank you so much. We've been talking about the new documentary, Barbara Lee, Speaking Truth to Power, with Barbara Lee and Abby Ginsberg, the filmmaker and director. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.